This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now enjoy today's message with Ted Cunningham. We are in part three of Into the Neighborhood, and we have to start to see how many of you grew up in Sunday school. Uh, I will start and let you finish the song. Zacchaeus was a... I got the motions going on down here. There wasn't a ladder. Uh, for the Lord, he wanted to see. And then the Lord said. <laughs> and there are guests here today going, I'm in a cult. This is a cult right now. What? Who knows this song? Oh, man. I asked my son. I was singing this the whole way to church this morning, multiple times, over and over and over again. And I asked my son, hey, did you sing Zacchaeus was a wee little man in Critter Street at Woodland Hills? And he goes, Dad, we're more of a VeggieTales church. Uh, I didn't really get that one. So, But we as a church believe that Jesus is still seeking and saving the lost. And uh, many, uh, during that last worship song, I know as you prayed for your family, I know many were praying for their children to come back to the Lord. Uh, There were many praying that their children uh, would place faith in Jesus for the very first time. And today we're going to see, as Jesus moves into the neighborhood, this invitation that he gives to you, each person in here, whether you're a believer or not. And we're going to see three illustrations from the scripture today, three passages. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Luke 19. We're going to start with the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus, uh, but then we're going to c- compare and contrast that to uh, another wealthy individual that did not receive the invitation of Jesus. And then we're going to end by looking at the church and how a wealthy church can actually stiff arm Jesus. But we're going to start with Zacchaeus and this invitation that's offered and really there's three ways you see it with stores you see it with restaurants and you see it with churches uh, that that you're welcomed the first welcome maybe you've received in the last year and even before covid is the store or the restaurant or the church that says we don't want you here has anybody been in that store or restaurant you you walk in and you're immediately met by the staff with a uh, that feeling Right? It's, it's also the place that has signs everywhere. There are signs on the doors, on the windows, on the cash register. And you know the signs were placed there uh, after some bad encounter with a customer. The owner or the manager went to the back and printed out a sign on their inkjet printer and put it up. And you see signs all the time. You know, attitude signs. Like if you have any attitude, I even was at a restaurant that said, any vulgarity given toward our staff, you're out of here. I'm like, well, how many times have you been cussed at that you had to make a sign that said, vulgarity, you're out of here. And we're used to no shoes, no shirt. It'll soon say no shoes, no shirt, no mask, no service. Uh, Then, you know, you got the no cell phone zone, right? I've even been to restaurants that say you will not plug in and charge your phone in our restaurant. We've all seen the signs that say uh, restrooms for customers only. Right, And I just go, why do we need so many signs? It, it, it puts off this vibe that you don't want me here. And I just want you to know you are welcome to use the restrooms at Woodland Hills Family Church. And you can even use them on a Saturday if, if we're open. Right, Just feel free to come in here and go potty if you got to. I just have never understood the stiff arming of customers. Or how about this? Potential customers. Right, and so, But then there's another... 
Another welcoming that you get, a second one, and that's people who want you there, but they're not ready for you. You've been in the family-owned restaurants where it's like the dining room is more like a storage room. You know what I'm talking about? Where you walk in and it's just cluttered everywhere. I walked into a pizza joint this weekend uh, in the New England states. And as I walked in, it said dine-in, so I was going to grab a personal pan, eat real quick, and go. And at this table, there was an accountant, you know, for the restaurant doing bookkeeping. And then the guy back there was assembling pizza boxes. And no lie, right next to the register, the guy at this table was mixing chemicals. I have no idea what was going on there. But he was doing all this, and I'm going, is this your storage room? Can I eat here? Do you want me in here? I don't know. Do I need to eat with the accountant? How does this work? (laughs) But then the third one, and this is hopefully what the family of Woodland Hills is all about. We want you here, and we're ready for you. We want you here, we welcome you, we're glad you're here, and the church family is ready to receive you. Because we always want to be a place where you can invite your friends, family, and neighbors to be a part, and you won't be embarrassed. I may say some things that upset your Catholic grandmother, but just give me some grace on that a little bit. But long before we get to the sermon, you're already making decisions. And we want this to be a place where people are welcomed, encouraged to invite others. And we're going to see today that invitations, right, require decisions. So I hope that all of us will make a decision today off of the invitation that Jesus gives us. So let's jump into this great story of Jesus and Zacchaeus in Luke 19, 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. And the reason the word chief is in front of that is because he probably had others that went out and collected the taxes for him. But this is the key because we're going to see this in all three illustrations this morning. He was wealthy. And we're going to see how wealth can become a stumbling block to faith. Because we are told, command those who are rich to not put their hope in their wealth. And a lot of times when people end up getting money, and again, hear me, there's, money is not evil. It is the love of money. Money is not evil, but when people begin to trust and put their hope in that bank account, they can move away from Jesus. But we're going to see with Zacchaeus, he was a, a wealthy man. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was a wee little man, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, and just for those of you who learned about a ladder in Sunday school, he climbed a sycamore tree. He didn't have a ladder hand by. You think Zacchaeus walked around with a ladder everywhere that he went? So anyway, it makes for good motions on a song, though, I get He climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, here's what we the first thing we want to learn about Jesus moving into the neighborhood this morning. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up. Jesus noticed people. Jesus could read a room. And follower of Jesus, well, let, let us be that aware of the people who are around us. Travis Broner told me after the first service, he goes, one of the problems with wealth, wealthy people can quickly become detached from a community, especially if the community is dealing with poverty. And we can quickly forget what those who are impoverished need and how we can best minister to them. But Jesus was well aware of this. Jesus noticed people. Jesus looked up and didn't keep walking. He said to him, and I love this, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. 
I must stay at your house today. So here is the invitation. And I want you to see how decisive. Let's look at how decisive Zacchaeus is. So he came down at once. He came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And what we learn about extending invitations and receiving invitations is that all invitations require decisions. You have to make a decision. When someone invites you to a party, it's yes or no. Now, my wife, she absolutely loves this online service. Can anybody tell me what this is? Not many people know. It's called Punchbowl. You'll get an email from this. If my wife is planning the staff Christmas party, our replenish retreat that we do in the fall, right? She loves being prepared for whatever party she's throwing. She, you know, buys stuff online that has your name, you know, monogrammed on it. She has to know how many meals to purchase. So she'll send this out. And her favorite people in life are the ones who respond immediately. Those are her favorite people. Now, here's what's cool. She doesn't care if the answer is yes or no. Obviously, she wants you to come. But she wants your yes to be yes and your no to be no. And she just wants a decision. She wants to know what to plan on. But yet, so many people, and we get during COVID, like our church is usually three or four months out in planning. But during COVID, we were like a week out in planning because we didn't know what was going on. School schedules, church schedules, community schedules made planning very difficult for people. But this invitation goes out and it has this phrase that my generation and younger generations didn't get really good at. It's RSVP. Do I have any uh, French speaking people here today that can yell out what RSVP stands for? That was a good stab at it, Greg, right there. Respond, see, boo, be, play. That was good. That was, you've been in the Ozarks how long, uh, Greg? Uh, anyway, I just, before I say this, just remember Fran- French is not, France is not my first language. French is not my first language, okay? It is, répondez, s'il vous plaît, okay? So that's about as good as you're going to get from a pastor in the Ozarks. But in English, it simply means this. When you get an RSVP, respond, please. The bride and groom are paying 40 bucks a plate, right? They need to know, can they count on you? Can they count on your answer? Now, I know some of you are like, if I get pushed for an answer, the answer is no, right? If you need an immediate answer, the answer is no. But there's more than these first two. But we obviously, in responding, know there's the yes. And this is what we've been praying today, that you'll say yes to Jesus To the believer who's been sitting on the fence, to the believer who is lukewarm, to the believer who's been giving half-hearted following of Jesus, that you would decide and that you would give yes to Jesus, not on your terms, on his terms, but there's also the no. And we know plenty of people will say no. But if you've, boy, uh, how many Zoom invitations can you get in a year? And it's given us more options than just yes or no, accept or decline. Right? If you get a Zoom invitation, it says accept or decline, and then in the middle it says maybe. You know what maybe is? Maybe is no, but I don't want to hurt your feelings. That's what maybe is. How many of you have ever given a maybe and it turned into a yes? Let me see your hands. Uh-huh. How many of you have given a maybe and you knew it was a no when you gave the maybe? Right there. That is for all our passive-aggressive people. And then an event hits your social media, and it's not maybe, but you get this, I'm interested. I'm interested. I'm interested in Branson Market Days. I'm interested in the craft fair. Why do we delay? Somebody told me after the first service, one of the reasons we delay in making a decision for Christ is because we know it comes with risk. 
Decisions come with risk. Invitations require decisions. Decisions come with risk. We delay on responding to invitations because we live in a day and age where we want to keep our options open. Something better could come along. And if I decide right now and I commit to you for something a few weeks away and something better comes along, I do events. And most people don't buy tickets for events from churches and all that until the Friday of the event. Because they're hoping someone better shows up in town. That's the reality. Right? We can't commit to something a week or two out. What do we call this? Somebody tell me what FOMO means. Fear of missing out. I like that though. Failure of missing out. I like yours better. Failure of missing out. (laughs) Fear of missing out. So Jesus gives this invitation and Zacchaeus comes down at once and decides. And what we're going to see is the fruit... Right, the, the fruit of his salvation, not the source of his salvation. But before we get to that, let's see how others responded to Jesus and his invitation to Zacchaeus. One verse, verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter. That's a great word for religious people. Muttering. It's one of the reasons pastors leave the ministry is because of muttering. Mutter. The people muttered what? He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. And that is what got Jesus in so much. It's what got Jesus accused of being a drunkard and a glutton because he spent time with lost people. Pat Kershaw, it's no mistake, she's watching right now, but you know she's one of my favorite members. I can't say my favorite member anymore because it offended some people. But (laughs) Pat's 86 and she's watching Church at Home right now. But Pat, usually she leaves a service at 8.30 and she goes out. And before she gets out of the parking lot, I get a text. And it's usually a grade of some sort on the sermon uh, that took place. But here's what I love. And I hope if the Lord lets me live to 86, that I will have the same teachable spirit that Pat has. Because there's really nothing more in the Bible that I can teach her. But she is constantly wanting to learn. And after the first part of this series where we talked about Jesus and how we spent time and how we're taking it through this whole series of Jesus moving into the neighborhood, Pat sent me this text, and she didn't know I was going to quote her, but I'm quoting her. Be like Jesus. Spend enough time with sinners to ruin your reputation with religious people. And I just, I just want you to know, we welcome them here on Sundays. Not only do we welcome you, we are ready for you. And why? Because we want you to receive this invitation to life in Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line. And we welcome you. But religious people have a real hard time with this. And you've you've seen this. Some of you maybe have experienced this in a church. Religious people want sinners to behave before they welcome them. Jesus didn't. He welcomed them. And he gave the invitation. Right, but we want them to, listen, going to need you to dress this way. Going to need you to clean up your language. I sat at a breakfast bar yesterday eating breakfast in Boston, Massachusetts. And these five guys, uh, they, I felt like they were the cast of Wicked Tuna. They were foul-mouthed fishermen sitting up there at the bar. And I'm sitting there and, uh, and I'm just listening to it. And there were a couple times they caught me. They would say something and I would just go, <laughs> right, because... I was being so entertained. They sat me down like one seat over and they asked this guy, hey, is, it, is this too close for you? And the guy looked at the waitress and goes, he can sit on my lap if he wants. I'm like, no, thank you. Uh, I'm good. Uh, but then I sat there and I, in those moments, I start praying like, Lord, give me an opportunity. Give me an opportunity. Give me an opportunity. Let me work into this conversation somehow. But they were 
talking, and I, I, I don't use the F word, uh, so I, don't, I didn't know if I was going to have anything to offer uh, the conversation. Uh, but they were trying to figure out what to do with the rest of the day. This was like 7 or 8 in the morning. And he said, he, he goes, you can come over to my house till 4. And then they said these words. The guy sitting right next to me, the witch doesn't get home till 4. And, I, and I'm in town to do a marriage conference. And I'm sitting there, I'm praying, Lord, right now. I pause in the middle of eating my uh, uh, lobster Benedict or whatever it was. I'm praying, Lord, please get them to ask me what brings me to town. Please ask them to get me what brings me to town. I so bad want to tell them, I'm here to do a marriage conference. Do you want to learn some of the, you want to learn some of the content that you can take back to your wives? But it's just interesting to me, and we talked about this in the first week, how so many people would be so appalled by their language that they wouldn't want to spend time. Would we be believers that when we hear that, they're like, Lord, give me an opportunity to share. Give me an opportunity to make the invitation. But beyond that, even, we don't just want them to behave. We want people to believe like we believe before we welcome them. I grew up in a church, Independent Fundamental Premillennial King James Version Only Baptist. It was on our sign. We put that on our sign. And I'm telling you, 99 out of 100 people that would drive by our church didn't have a clue. We didn't have Google back in the 80s and 90s. You couldn't look up, what does premillennial mean? And I'm just wondering, I'm just wondering, not what we believe. I'm just wondering how, how many people did not come into our church when I was growing up because of our sign. Because we wanted them to not just know where we, I'm just convinced of it. It's like, if you're going to fit into this group, you have to believe this way. Now, that's the church. But it's not for lost people. We want to invite the lost to find life in Christ. And then it's through our essential beliefs that we find unity as a church, yes. But there are many here today. I had someone come up to me after the first service, and I always loved this. Ted, I don't agree with you on everything. I go, (laughs) neither does my wife. (laughs) But I have found a home here at this church because we both love Jesus. We both love Jesus. And I'm just, I just want to make sure believers in Christ, when we think about eating with sinners, and remember, it wasn't because Jesus winked at sin. It wasn't because he diminished sin. He did it to give them this invitation to life in him. And may we quit expecting lost people to act like believers. They'll act like believers. And how many of you know believers that don't act like believers? That's why we got the New Testament epistles. Paul's writing back to the church saying what? Knock it off. That's not how you act in Christ. But we start by welcoming, and it's, we start by inviting people to life. In Christ. And then let Jesus change their lives. Let Jesus change their behaviors. Let's teach them what the Bible teaches. But Zacchaeus stood up, said to the Lord, Look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay it back four times the amount. And you read this and somebody be like, well, that's what it takes to have salvation. No, no, no. This is the overflow of salvation. This isn't the requirement of salvation. Please hear that. This is a proof that Zacchaeus got saved. And even the Lord says it in in verse nine, Jesus said to today, salvation has come to this house. Who is salvation? There's power. There's healing in the name of Jesus. It's by faith alone in Christ alone. And now Zacchaeus, this is just the overflow of his life. This, because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost, and he is still seeking and saving the lost. And when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, 
when you receive this invitation with a decisive, immediate yes, okay, following Jesus doesn't have this, what can I get away with attitude. I read this week uh, an author who was writing on 1 Corinthians 7, and it was the weirdest thing I'd read because she was trying to explain what was going on in Corinth in such a way as to like, say, we don't have to follow this passage or here's what it really means. Listen, if you're reading the Bible to justify sin rather than convict you of sin, you're reading it the wrong way. Don't read it to find out what can I get away with. This, and that to me is one of the biggest issues with progressive Christianity. I want to read to figure out, well, that's what it meant to them at that time, but there's really nothing for me in that text in 1 Corinthians 7. You're reading the Bible the wrong way. This is God's word to you. And this is what we know too. No, what, not what can I get away with. When you say yes to Jesus, there's no fence sitting with Jesus. But we see it all the time with believers. I say yes to Jesus, but I still want to live how I want to live. I love Jesus and I want heaven to be my home. I want to be saved. I want eternal security in Christ Jesus. However, I will pick and choose the stuff out of the Bible that I like. I will pick and choose the stuff out of the Bible that works for me. I will pick and choose the stuff out of the Bible that culture likes. Listen, follower of Jesus, you think cancel culture is, is ramped up right now? It's just getting started. And Jesus said, if the world hates you, just understand, it hated me first. You say yes to Jesus, you follow his ways and his words, no matter what. And you're like, well, when you say yes to Jesus and want to live your own way, you're leaving your options open is what you're doing. And I just want to go back to this one thought. Leave your options open for the craft fair and for the Branson market days, but not for following Jesus. That's why we sang growing up, not just Zacchaeus was a wee little man. I have decided to, I don't know why I'm marching, that's a different song. To follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. But we give these yeses in many different ways how about this how about the person that has a yes with no follow-through i think this is the person that said yes to jesus and there was intention to follow jesus but then they drifted in their faith they allowed a family member or a friend they allowed sin to creep into their life and they began to drift but there's also the person that says yes and they say yes they want heaven as their home they want to be saved but there's no intention of following jesus There's no intention of following his ways and his word. And then I've also met the Christian that said yes to following Jesus until something better comes along. And I got to tell you, the reason I'm not a progressive Christian or a progressive pastor, and I'll never be a progressive Christian or a progressive pastor. I wasn't an emergent pastor or an emergent Christian either. And you're like, well, you're a fuddy-duddy. Well, maybe so. Maybe so. But I'm not looking for something better to come along. I pretty much settled on Jesus. I'm good with Jesus. I don't, I don't need a new version, a new shiny this or shiny that. I can say yes to Jesus and I can stick with Jesus because there's power in the name of Jesus. There's healing in the name of Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and I'm sticking with it. But there was another invitation that was given in Luke 18, 18 through 25 to another rich person who had the opposite response of Zacchaeus. A certain ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be saved? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. 
You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And this is the pat on the back. This rich guy gives himself. All of these I have kept since I was a boy. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. Again, please hear me. This is not Jesus adding a new requirement to salvation. He is testing this young man's heart. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, the young man became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven? In other words, that wealth becomes a stumbling block and we begin to put our hope in it. And this is why we command those who are rich not to put their hope in wealth. To put your hope in Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is, and he uses hyperbole here, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a sewing needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The opposite response of Zacchaeus. But now... There's there's an invitation given to the church. And when you read Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, it's a verse that's been quoted often uh, with evangelism. But it's really a verse about fellowship. Because this this passage isn't Jesus. I'm not picturing Jesus in this text or this context standing at the heart of a lost man or woman, boy or girl, knocking on the door, asking to be invited into this lost person's heart. This is Jesus standing at the door of, of the church wanting to be invited in to his own church to have renewed fellowship with believers. Why? Because wealth, wealth has moved them away from their love of Jesus. And we read this, the church at Laodicea in Revelation three fifteen through 20. I know your deeds that you're neither cold nor hot. You're on the fence. Here we are again. I want to follow Jesus, but I also want to do this. I also, I want to follow Jesus, but I I want to trust what I'm able to provide and what I'm able to give to my family. I want my trust and hope in that. And we're back and forth on this fence, neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other, Jesus says. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Jesus is saying, I want to vomit because I'm not looking for half-hearted commitments. I'm not looking for half-hearted decisions. I'm not looking for someone who just shows up on Sunday and puts on the good game face and then goes and lives his life however he wants. I'm looking for someone that says, I'm following Jesus, and that's more important to me than defending my rights. That's more important to me than a lot of the political stuff that I want to fight. I want to follow Jesus, his ways and his words, and I'm not looking for the person that goes back and forth. I'm looking for the person that says yes to me and takes up his cross and follows me. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. And this is what wealth can do. And again, if you have wealth, it's not money that's the problem. It's not wealth that's the problem. It's your love of money, it's your hope in money, it's your trust in money. That's it. I have wealth, I don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And if that's you today, follower of Jesus, there's hope. There's hope. Don't just stop right there. Too many churches end their message right here, which we actually need to do because it's 1101. But we're going to continue. We have, I can't leave you there. It'd be a horrible, it wouldn't be good news. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich in me. 
Jesus says. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see again. Half-hearted Christian, it's time to find true life in Jesus and make your decision yes with follow-through. Verse 19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. And every parent in here that disciplines a child, it's because you love them. Children, I know you don't feel it all the time, but every time your parents discipline you, it's because they love you. And Jesus says, it's because I love you. So be earnest and repent. If you're on the fence, if you pick and choose out of scripture, what you like, what you don't like, how you're going to live, how you don't want to live, and you're going to cherry pick the best verses and you're going to buy the coffee mugs that make you feel good. I just want to encourage you, make the yes today. And it starts with repentance. Repentance is just, it's not just for lost people. It's for believers too. He says, repent. Here I am. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. I want renewed fellowship with you. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And all God's people said, would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, for the one who has never placed faith in Christ, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would confess with their mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in their heart that he has been raised from the dead. For the believer who's half-hearted, who's drifting in their faith, who church attendance for them is, is just a, a check on a list each week, that today would be a wholehearted decision for you. That they would give a yes with every intention to follow through and then the, the strength to follow through. May we give clear yeses to you this week as we read your word and as we walk with you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray it. And everyone agreed and said,